Today's episode is sponsored by Breathwork. Breathwork is a simply a powerful way to alleviate stress and anxiety, fall asleep faster, energize yourself, or improve endurance. Learn and feel the power of breathing with guided exercises that are backed by science and research. I myself have used this app a few times, and I've gotten my kids using it too. They actually love the monkey mascot. Breathwork teaches the same techniques used by Olympic athletes, psychologists, yoga experts, Navy SEALs, and Zen masters. Download it now from the Apple App Store. It's B-R-E-A-T-H-W-R-K. Leave out the O in work. Today we have Zach Williams, son of the late comedian and actor Robin Williams. Zach has a background in gaming and media, has been a proud supporter of entrepreneurs, studied at NYU and Columbia Business School, has a passion for space, and is an advocate for mental health, utilizing his new company, PIM, as a pivotal platform in that arena. Well, thank you, Zach, for taking the time to be on the show. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Um, I'd love to uh, go back uh, to the, the beginning, so to speak. Um, you grew up with a mom who uh, is a dancer. A father was a comedian and actor. What were your artistic proclivities growing up? Elements relating to how arts and culture can impact human perception and make a positive difference around the human condition is something that growing up in San Francisco with my parents being involved with the arts really um, influenced me. Um, so was exposed to ballet, was exposed to the symphony. We also have a fantastic uh, opera as well as great art institutions. That's fantastic. Um, SF MoMA is a great museum and the Opera House in San Francisco is exquisite. I remember seeing Placido Domingo perform there. Um, were there any performances across um, those modalities that are exhibitions that kind of stood out for you and left an impression? Seeing uh, Shostakovich, his works performed in the hall is, has been phenomenal. Same applies to Tchaikovsky. And then in terms of opera, I uh, particularly resonant to me was a performance of Turandot when I was younger. Wow, um, uh, that the one of the most famous arias known is uh, Nessun Dorma. Yeah, yeah. There were certain artists who influenced me when I was younger that were within the community, um, in the San Francisco community and kind of abroad. I, I remember, uh, and this he was in New York, but he certainly had an impact on my kind of early impression of the arts, but Keith Haring, for oh, sure. Yes. And there was a, yeah, yeah. And there's a local artist named William Passarelli who passed away, who was someone who had a great impact on me in terms of thinking about what mixed media looks like. I, I am most attracted to the elements of the arts that relate to kind of cross-cultural, cross-pollination. Um, if you're talking about digital transmedia opportunities, intersection of say fine arts and film, and that's something that became very near and dear to me, so. Fantastic. 
Zach, I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing um, some of the challenges of growing up with a uh, celebrity parent. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the main challenge of growing up with a celebrity parent is that you have to share your, uh, your, your parent with the world. Yeah. And that, that was something that was always difficult and challenging. It was kind of cool to see when you had someone who would perform was kind of eye-opening and cool. You know, my first experiences of him as a performer, of my dad as a performer was with comic relief and performing, you know, to an audience uh, for a good cause, supporting the homeless. So when I, when I was a, a young kid, it, it was less, there was less films of my dad's that I could see. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, could see Popeye, could see certain, certain routines, certain um, comedies, but there's a lot of, you know, I, I wasn't watching Good Morning Vietnam. Sure, right. You know, I, I certainly wasn't watching Club Paradise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, I think you were like four years old when Good Morning Vietnam came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I kind of hit, um, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, you started having a a collection of um, more kid friendly content. Sure. Yeah. You Absolutely. know, Aladdin, Hook, later Jumanji, things like that. And so, that, so you know, that's when I started seeing more of that type of content. You know, I'm very curious. Uh, your middle name. Uh, which has uh, relevance for the company that you've launched. Um, mm -hmm. What's the origin of it? So my middle name, Pim, uh, was given to me by my dad. And he gave it to me because he made it up. And he thought it sounded vaguely Welsh, of which I'm of Welsh heritage. If, if you go to Wales, um, you can't. You can't throw a throw a rock without hitting a Williams. That's fantastic. Oh, that's a, an exciting origin for the name. Just in doing some research, I learned that uh, the only novel written by Edgar Allan Poe has uh, one of the characters, and it's actually in the title itself. It's called The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, P-Y-M, of Nantucket. So I wondered if there was any association there. No, I didn't know that. And now I'm excited about learning more. Maybe we'll read it together. Sounds great. I'm in. You know, coming back to the name theme, um, your child, who will be a year old in about a month and very close to a birth date of uh, my son. They're two days apart. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, your child's name is Mickey. And uh, so named after your father's middle name. And uh, you also have an uncle named McLaurin, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I have a, my, my uncle, we call him Mac. In many ways, I'm honoring my dad by naming my son, McLaurin, but also it extends into kind of our family heritage. Nice, excellent. Um, so you went to NYU for college where you studied uh, linguistics and literature. Um, mm -hmm. Share about your time there. Well, my experience at New York University was interesting because um, 
I started attending school in September of 2001. So right around, I think my, my second week of school was when September 11th occurred. Right. And it was traumatic. It was displacing. I didn't really know how to conduct myself because you start school and this your collegiate experience and then this happens and that and so that that set me off kind of on my journey there um educationally it was awesome i you know i started studying literature uh and then took on linguistics later i i took on linguistics because i'm very interested in language and the, and and the thing that was very appealing to me is understanding how the technical elements of, of language and the history and ontology of languages, et cetera, all come together to form, you know, the communication medium that we use. Nice. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, linguistics is a very technically rigorous course of study. Yeah, it was hard. Uh, you know, w when I, when I studied it, most people I was studying with were most interested in going into academics. Yeah. There's kind of a couple paths. You either go into academics or you go, you work for, you know, a tech company like Google. Coinciding with that, New York University, it's not a campus per se. It's, it's something that is, uh, you kind of cobble together your own experience, you know? Yeah, no, I can understand that. I lived in New York a number of years, so I appreciate what you're saying. Um, and after school, you worked for EA. Um, were you, did you enjoy gaming growing up? I mean, which kid doesn't? <laughs> yeah, well, it was one of, one of the bonding activities I engaged with my dad. And um, when I joined EA, I was working under a, a team that was building uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And so... Got to interact with a lot of awesome kind of legendary game producers. I worked under uh, Neil Young. Neil Young is not that Neil Young. <laughs> I also worked Glenn, uh, under Glenn Schofield, who ended up producing the uh, Call of Duty franchise, Modern Warfare, and, and built Sledgehammer Games from the ground up. And I, and I had the privilege of working with Bing Gordon, some who's... Uh, the co-founder of EA, and has been a very inspiring uh, presence in my life. Nice. What was your favorite game growing up? Oh man, what was my favorite game growing up? I uh, there were stages. I think early in my life, I was very into the Metroid and Legend of Zelda series. Uh, were you involved in naming your sister? I played a role in it, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> Because you were six when she was born. Yeah, and I had a I had a friend Nick uh, who, who, you know, I I spent a lot of time with as a kid, and he, him and I, proposed to uh, my sister's mom, my stepmother, uh, a collection of names, saying, you know, if it's a boy, we think Mario is the best choice. And if it's a girl, then you have to go with Zelda. That's fantastic. Thank yeah. you for that share. Also with my dad, I love playing um, uh, 
military simulation games. Hmm. Okay. Um, when did you decide to go to business school? Um, I decided I did to go to business school um, in my mid twenties when I realized, hey, I had built this experience base primarily in the creative discipline with an element of business, element of marketing. At EA, when I left EA, went to help found uh, a, uh, a restaurant guide as its founding editor. Was working with um, some startups and different spaces, primarily in the digital space, um, supporting on different things, but primarily creative input. So I had this inkling that um, there was uh, an MBA in in the cards for me somewhere, but it didn't really start kind of coalescing into a path for me until my mid twenties. Gotcha. Okay, great. I appreciate you sharing about that. Um, so uh, after business school, you um, uh, have been wearing an entrepreneurial hat and uh, sort, of, sort of starting companies, being advisor to many and, and an angel investor as well. Um, just share some of the experiences or the draw in, in doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, I love helping and supporting great entrepreneurs and, and, and founders. And uh, post business school, I had, I'd been consulting for a Lunar Lander company. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I got very excited around the private, the privatization of the space industry through consulting and working with um, a specific uh, entrepreneur named Bob Richards, who is a founder, CEO, he still is a founder and CEO of a company called Moon Express. Whereas I wanted to go yesterday, when you're talking about the privatization of space, you really need to think through how you slot into a lot of these national space programs. So what became apparent is, you know, it's not just like you can craft out this, this experience, build it, and then just launch it. It requires a regulatory component, requires a policy component and everything. And so I think there was a misaligned expect, expectation between how, I, how fast I believe the, this, you know, a space program could, could work and go to market and how fast it could actually function in terms of going to market. I think you were just a man way ahead of his time. <laughs> so I, I still follow, I, I still actively follow, uh, you know, the space industry. I have lots of friends in it. I ended up switching over uh, to go back into a space that I knew, which is a media and gaming space. Right. Uh, working with back with uh, Neil Young, who um, who I worked with at Electronic Arts for his company Network. Um, and uh and so yeah <laughs> you know it's um certainly space is uh, a big part of our current zeitgeist and uh again uh, you know we're looking at companies like spacex or, or virgin galactic and some of the things they're doing in fact it's super convenient to try and think of drawing a dotted line between your fat passion for space and seeing your father play the role of mork but it's obviously much more involved than that <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very much consumer minded in terms of my professional career. And, and part of that involved building and supporting the development of belief systems. And, 
you know, consumers hard, <laughs> yes. as, as you know, and, but, but part of that involves, you know, it can, it can take a while for, to establish kind of a culture around specific things. I'm very focused on that for mental health and mental health support right now. Yeah. And, and to change adoption and usage habits, uh, it can take time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can, you can hit and you can have a very engaging, retentive experience, but, you know, when it comes to building a belief system, it requires a lot of experimentation. It requires a hit and miss type of situation. And uh, ultimately, it requires an understanding of kind of, you know, what it will take to get things to stick. And, and there's a tenacity that needs to be applied to that in a lot of circumstances. Absolutely. Well, I really admire and appreciate how you're pursuing your passions. Um, and I think that that's just so critical in any entrepreneurial endeavor. I'd, I'd love to chat more about uh, now the mental health focus and, um, you know, I, maybe to the extent you feel comfortable sharing about some of the things that brought you to um, that as a focal point and your desire to um, re-educate or alter people's behavior or understanding of it sure yeah well so i i had always experienced depression and anxiety when i when i was young um i had some obsessive personality traits mm. you know checking my closet a hundred times before i went to bed ruminating you know, excessive rumination around stuff things like that. And, you know, as I became an adult, I, I realized that I, I realized now that I had found a lot of uh, solace and self-medicating using things like alcohol yeah. uh, and, and, you know, other, other types of substances to, to, you know, treat depression, anxiety, OCD, and uh, kind of things fell apart for me. Um, I, um, when my dad commits suicide, it led me down a spiral. Mm -hmm. I found myself uh, in a situation that I could not manage. I was drinking to a level of excess and kind of numbing out and not able to really take care of myself in the way that I needed to. Um, I was traumatized by the experience found myself unable to really cope in a meaningful way. Mm. And, um, and found things completely uh, unsustainable in terms of lifestyle, not able to really sleep at night. I was, um, uh, I had left my job at Network, the company I was at at the time, because I wasn't able to focus. I wasn't really able to do anything. And, and it just, things were all coming to a head. And it became very apparent to me that something had to change. Um, I found some elements of healing, uh, the trauma through committing myself to service work, um, starting with, and, uh, teaching a financial literacy class at, at San Quentin, the prison, and then segueing more into helping people 
um, or helping organizations that ultimately help people um, in the mental health, mental health support space. I, I, that was something that I, I really found affinity with over time. I, something had to give. And so I, I cut out um, uh, self-medicating, you know, the alcohol in, in, in my life. And you, you say it very casually, Zach. It's not an easy thing to do at all, I know. No, it took time. No, it took like 18 months. When I cut out substances altogether, um, I had an enormous amount of anxiety. And I, I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, there was not anything I could really cope with in a way that felt uh, manageable. That's extremely challenging because uh, the quick fix isn't there anymore. Right. And so, so as part of that, I kind of had to cobble together a set of, it, of compounds that ultimately would help me manage my anxiety. If I took certain things and, you know, committed to eating a little bit better, committed to exercising, although I still don't exercise, exercise nearly enough as a ritual, I think that would you know, be more helpful to me. You have a newborn. It's uh, completely understandable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I, but I found kind of a collection of compounds that helped me. And so, um, so through that process, I was like, wow, I need to share this with the world. I need to create something that can be packaged in such a way where I could provide, you know, provide a product and distribute it to help people. Um, to support their stress and anxiety and, and feelings of overwhelm. And so, so I started a company. Um, really phenomenal. Congrats and, and kudos on that. And uh, it really speaks volumes about your altruistic nature, Zach, that, um, you know, you could have just kept those uh, formulations for yourself, but you wanted to help others. And that's a big part of the service piece that you took a lot from. And so I really I commend you. I think it's exceptional. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, the thing for me is I had been engaged with several nonprofits, work with the organization Bring Change to Mind, um, which uh, develops and deploys evidence-backed peer-to-peer uh, -peer communities in high schools and universities throughout the U.S. and, and uh, was working with Still, I'm working with the Yerba Buena Center of the Arts, which is a cultural institution known for being on the leading edge of, of uh, socially forward uh, initiatives, social justice, and generally for, for good uh, projects and, um, and programs. And, um, and and also now I'm affiliated with an organization called United for Global Mental Health, which is an advocacy and policy organization focused on pragmatic change for policy. That's great. And your role them is with them as U.S. trustee. Is that like a key leadership role? Uh, it is. Uh, it's akin to a board role, okay. but but it's an international organization. As I'm based in the U.S., the the goal is to support. Um, uh, constituencies based in the U.S. for international programming and, and policy initiatives, et cetera. Um, but so, so the point I'm trying to make is I was involved with all these 
nonprofit initiatives, but my private sector activity was not aligning. So Brilliant. the thing the thing that's great about this is that I, I can have all roads lead to mental health, mental health support. That's fantastic. Yeah, and so that's well what I'm doing now. And and so, you know, with the new company PIM, which stands for not only my middle name, but prepare your mind. Which I think is fantastic. What yeah, a we're, acronym. <laughs> portion of proceeds will go to mental health initiatives like Bring Change to Mind, um, like United for Global Mental Health. But also, we can use you know the company that that's created to be an anchor point around mental health support and the movement associated with mental health support. It requires building belief systems. And I believe that's sustainable and available to do with consumer packaged goods just as much as it is with um, digital products and experiences. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so Zach, when Mickey is your age, where would you like to see Pim, the company? When, when my son is my age, I'm 37, so 36 years from now, I would like to see a culture that embraces mental health and my mind health. I'd like to see my son grow up in a world without stigma, with more empathy and more vulnerability. That's fantastic. Uh, I wish for the same. I have a 14-year-old and a uh, soon-to-be 12-year-old, and uh, that's that's the world I'd like them to live in for sure. And uh, I think um, there there must be an education component to that if we're going to try and modify belief systems. Sure. In my perspective, it's five five tiered. First tier would be programming. That can be everything from curricula to you know engaging with resources. Um, experiences, companies, academic institutions, whatever that may be. The second is awareness. Stigma plays very much a part of that, um, or destigmatizing mental health. The third component is research. You remove stigma, you unlock more resources for research. I'm a big proponent of evidence-backed learning and evidence-backed programming. The fourth would be advocacy, which is kind of coordinating around a lot of this stuff, creating coalitions, ultimately harnessing the potential energy into tailwinds and turning it into action. Um, there's a governance component of that, enabling kind of you know organizations that are doing a lot of the work around the other pillars to be supported, to get the funding they need, to generate awareness. And then the fifth is policy. And we can do so much better from a policy perspective um, in the U.S. and then certainly abroad. Um, we're talking about, in the U.S., about 1% of medical GDP is spent on mental health. We really need to be around 10%. Certain nations are on the leading edge of that. You know, I keep on coming back to New Zealand and what they're doing. Um, Scandinavia, they're, they're doing a, a, a great job. Uh, yeah, they're the true role models, no question. Yeah, yeah. Um, the developing world, there's other issues that need to take priority in terms of, you know, communicable diseases, certain issues in terms of access to health care for very, very basic needs that, that need to take priority. So, you know, in those parts of the world, 
it looks to be, you know, to provide just a base level of coverage for mental health, et cetera. That's more around 5% of medical GDP spend, and we're still at the 1% or less range. Yeah. So we have work to do. We certainly have work to do, um, but I believe it takes villages coordinating in concert to do this uh, in a way that you can create, again, going back to belief systems that ultimately lead to cultural change that sticks. Couldn't agree with you more. So well said. That was great. So I'd like to ask you, um, at your baptism, Christopher Reeve, your godfather, who is also not with you anymore, he said his wish for you was to follow his inner self. Do you think you have? I think that's a journey for me. I think following my inner self is something that that is changed and you know tweaks over time. I'm just I'm hopeful and optimistic. Uh, the thing that I I, I want to highlight right now at this point is I think everything going on with the pandemic, uh, with coronavirus, opens up opportunities to create a new paradigm. Because we're going to come out of this with a shared trauma and a need to better connect, to feel supported, and to create a more giving and empathic uh, environment for, for people both in the U.S. and abroad. Well, from an outside observer perspective, it certainly does feel like you are following your inner self. Just all the activities and initiatives you're involved with and the way you speak about the important things in your life all resonate together and they all seem in sync. So uh, well done. Hey, thank you so much, Asim, and it's such a pleasure speaking and I look forward to speaking more. Yeah, absolutely, Zach. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you again. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.